You're now about to go deep with Dan Good. What's up, guys? As you can see and hear today, I am solo once again. It's been a little while since we've done one of these, but uh, hey, it's just how it goes down. I uh, had a few guests locked in and uh, everyone is busy at the start of this year. There's things chopping in and out and um, it's good to see, but uh, that is why this week's episode is one week late because I didn't want to have to put you through going deep with me just solo again, but uh, you know, things changed last minute and I had to switch out. We just had to get one out for you guys. So you're with me today. And um, hopefully I'll get the next one out with the guest a bit quicker so we can um, make up for it. But uh, this is what we're doing. And hey, it's the aim of the game. We've got to keep persevering with um, different things that come up and the hurdles that come our way. And we know that in this industry and in life. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So you got me. And what I want to talk about a few things today, but um, what I would like to start off with is we touched on a little bit in the episode, the last episode with Jeremy, and I was doing uh, acting class down at the Actors Workshop with Tom McSweeney, one of the big casting directors in Queensland. And I'm not going to go over too much of uh, all that because I did touch on it last uh, last episode, but there is one thing that he did say to me that has stuck with me for the past couple of months and deeply so um, for weeks after it happened. And I guess probably the last few weeks too with um, trials and tribulations and you know how it goes. So it put me in a thought process. And what it was, was uh, we were going in class and you get your scene and you learn it and then you go up and you're doing it in an audition style class, right? And you have another actor behind camera and you're just basically in the scene with them, really it's you as a self-test kind of workshop um, and class. But what he said was um, we were all, you know, different, as everybody knows as performers and um, when nerve-wracking things come up in life and you put a lot of expectation and pressure on yourself, you get nervous sometimes. And a lot of us were at times, like all performers do, whether you know it or not, that is just a little you know, lift off of the mask and uh, let you know that, but uh, everyone deals with it. And and it works well because you can channel it in the scene and into your character and and the things that you're trying to do and portray. Um, and it can also get the better of you, obviously, too, if you let it. Um, but there's things that you learn through the process of uh, acting in different methods and, and ways you combat it inside yourself uh, to then project it and channel it. And what it was, he said to you, he goes, I, I don't know what, what's happening, guys. Like, why are you nervous? You shouldn't be nervous. This is something that you love to do, that you have worked on for the past few days, the past week, this scene to get to the point of now you get to perform it. Why are you nervous? You love doing this. This is You shouldn't be this way about it. And it really dawned on me in so many different ways um, to take that and almost a metaphoric style uh, for life as well. And yeah, find the love in what you do or why you love this in the first place and what that is to you and what it means to you. Um, and I know you probably didn't mean it that way, but that's just how my analytical mind sort of took the words and processed it and used it within um, my uh, structure of the mind and how I approach things. And it really got me thinking. And you can obviously apply this, uh, the same rule to normal life and everybody is what you go about doing as a job or, or hobbies or anything that you interact with and, and actually do, um, sort of comes back to it because, you know, like why are you doing the things you're doing? Um, and you've got to find some love in it. Maybe you don't like your job really at all, but like for me personally, like I, take pride in doing a good job and the satisfaction for the customer that then gets to go and use the vehicle that I've worked on that I've set up or things like that. And I take pride personally in doing an amazing job and I'm really good at it, but it's not always the overall picture of why I, you know, I don't, maybe I don't love the nine to five job that I have. And we've spoke about it, not in nauseam, but we spoke about it in lengths of uh, different things of nine to fives. And you just have to do what you have to do to go through life and make the money to do the things you love. But you can definitely apply it to all those things. And 
you know, maybe you don't want to go out, you don't want to do this and, and see your friends, but you love your friends and you love having a good time. So there's the love in that. And that's why you, you know, get yourself out and about and go, go hang out with your friends and do your thing. But um, bringing that back to the creative circle, Dan, don't go off on a tangent, um, is that, yeah, for, for the example of why I love filmmaking, why I love acting, why I love to be in this business that we're in and this creative endeavors is my number one thing. I mean, I, I just love being on set, being on set with creative people, collaborating, using all our different talents to come together and skills and and make something awesome, which is a film or a TV series or whatever it is that you're that you're embarking on. And the love in that is just is so much. And that's why you do some of the things that you don't, maybe you don't want to take forever to learn the script or whatever it is. And maybe you're not so into it, but because you want to go and do the best you can with that character, you love that. So you go and do all the things that you need to do to then have the fun on set. And it's an important thing to remember. I, I truly believe. And also what that is for me is that I love making the films that I want to make, you know, and, and I also love the part of building the character up and then going to portray that character on screen and all the different things that come of it, no matter how well you prepare for said uh, scenes and said, you know, film, uh, things happen differently and you just have to go with it, obviously, on set. But the other part that I love is actually creating the films that I want to make myself as well. And we touched on it a bit last year on accountability episodes and, and all that of um, me doing my own film. And it's definitely high on the priority list. Well, actually the highest, one of the highest on the priority list for me this year. Um, and, I, and I did work on it a lot last year. I would have liked to have gotten it written last year, but as I've spoken about switching in and out with priorities when different things have come up and I got, you know, a large amount, four to six months, you know, sort of roughly hearing their work on set last year, um, the back end, you know, the halfway through to the back end of last year, which, you know, took up a lot of time with also other work and other things like the pod and all this, all this is, um, you know, it switched in and out. And so it's come back to the forefront of me, why I love what I do and what I love about film and filmmaking is yeah, making my own film. So that's right up on the priority list, guys. I won't touch too much up on that. And I'm going somewhere with all this. So just so you know, I'm not rambling here. Um, and yeah, so I started thinking about that. I started working on it a lot more and thinking about what I love about cinema, you know, and why I love cinema and why I even sort of came into the acting space in the first place was, um, my absolute love for, for cinema, TV and film and, um, what I've got from it, how enjoyable it is, whether you can call it an escape avenue for some people or including myself at times or using it for educational purpose, whatever it is, does it really matter? If you love the thing, you love it and you should keep doing or consuming more of it, creating more of it. And so I, I got thinking on that, on those lines, uh, that, that line of uh, thought process and what I obviously been doing in the process, the early process of writing and storyboarding, um, for this uh, film that I want to do, that I'm going to do. And I, so I started looking, okay, so, so what are some of the films that I really love to watch? And I just went down a rabbit hole and it wasn't really intentional, but that's just the way it went. And that's what I did. So I started out with one of my absolute favorite films of all time and absolute favorite directors of all time. And that be Tar Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. And so it is his second film um, that he made, Pulp Fiction. His first one was Reservoir Dogs, as most of you probably know. And if you don't, well, you do now. And in that rabbit hole, I started with Pulp Fiction. And I had seen it, obviously, several times before. But I felt like on this go-around I really actually understood the film more. It meant more to me. I got a lot more out of it. The characters, the way it was written, the way it was shot, just everything encapsulated came to a point of understanding, which was quite a magical thing in my mind. And I don't know if you guys have watched it a bunch or you have seen it or you haven't. If you haven't, check it out because it's an absolute masterpiece and cinematic experience. Um, and there's so many things to unpack and what I like about that. But I also went on a deep dive after I watched that Pulp Fiction. Then I decided to watch Hateful Eight, which is, I believe, Tarantino's eighth film. 
And also then I went and watched Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. And then there was one that I hadn't, I don't think I had seen before, but that was Death Proof with Kurt Russell, Rosanna Dawson, uh, Rose McGowan of Charmed, you might know her from that, um, and a bunch of other actors that he has used, as he just so awesomely does in most of his films. He uses a lot of the same uh, actors again and just different characters, which a lot of great filmmakers do, and it's it's awesome to see. And you can understand that relationship with people that you know can do the job and will bring everything to the scene and you just, you know, you know, you know them and what they do, character traits and things like that. So maybe he writes for the, them in the scenes. I, I'm not really sure. Obviously you'd have to ask him and Tarantino can be tight lipped in some avenues as well. So maybe he wouldn't tell you, but what he does there and, and yeah. And also, yeah, so I watched Death Proof and then in part of that grindhouse um, little cinematic universe that he creates is uh, also Planet Terror, which is a Robert Rodriguez film that actually has Rose McGowan in there as well and a, f- a couple of others in the same universe but not exactly the same world. They don't back onto each other. But, yeah, it's it's a very interesting um, time of cinema too. Um, and I may touch more on that in a moment. But, yes, and also finished off with Django Unchained last night, which is one of his best ones once again. Um, and obviously Inglorious Bastards is fantastic as well. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and let's hope he does his 10th film. But in all that, uh, with Pulp Fiction, right? And one of the things that I really love about Pulp Fiction is the intertwining nature of the stories of all the characters and they end up meeting up into sort of a climatic, uh, experience so to speak and finale and all those great things that cinema brings to you. And that part of the writing always fascinated me that Tarantino did that with Pulp Fiction. I know probably a lot of other filmmakers may do certain aspects of that, but that was my favorite part. I just loved the inner workings of that and how it went through like a, like a Swiss watch, you know, everything in fine working order. And it just, it just worked perfectly. And within all that, it's just, it's just such an awesome style of filmmaking. And what I got on this last watch from all that is, is he has a very unique style in here and it's something um, that he does with this film and with said monologue or passage out of the, out of the Bible that Samuel Jackson's character uh, constantly says throughout the film and it's from the chapter Ezekiel 25.17 the path of the righteous man and it's fantastic and i'm sure you guys know it and whether you you know whether you've seen the film or not you would have probably uh heard a thing or two about it um maybe a memes maybe i don't, I don't know it's cut into songs there's different different things where where it's been used uh i believe before and what it what it does is he he starts out and I, look guys i would love to I could play part of the film and be, and be watching it and talking it through with you guys, or you could see it and I could put it on the YouTube version. But unfortunately, I'm probably get flagged for copyright issues, and I Tarantino is not someone I want to piss off, clearly. And uh, yeah, because I've had a little bit uh, in one of the previous episodes of Bobby Taylor, I had his Ninja Warrior uh, semi finalist running on that copy, and they flagged it for copyright because it was Channel Nine sort of footage. So I don't really want to go down that road again of having to recut the the podcast and then uploading it again. So I'm sure you can play it. You can understand what that scene is, or this may uh, may push you to go and watching Pulp Fiction again. It, it, it quite possibly might, and. It's very interesting what he says. He he he, he recites the this passage out of the Bible um, before he goes and 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 ices guys as he plays um you know a hitman um in the film along with uh, John Travolta, which is basically his partner in crime, and he says this all the time. And he just says, "I think this is some cool shit that I get to say to a motherfucker before I ice him." But it's just, and then he starts to, I think through all the things that happen in the film to him, the people around him, he really starts to question his humanity, his uh, mortality, everything about him 
And it, and it sort of is associated through this passage in the Bible that he recites and ending in the last scene, which opens up actually the the start of the film as well in the diner where they are robbing the place and um, and there's a bit of a Mexican standoff, so to speak. And he recites this uh, scene again to the guy when he has like his life in his hand, basically, or there's guns pointed at him too from his girlfriend. Uh, from the guy, the, the ones that are robbing the cafe, and and it it seeds him to go on this journey, the last part of the journey, and then this the understanding of this Bible passage. But really, what it does is it encapsulates for me what I understood after watching it. It's kind of encapsulates the whole film, the whole feeling of the film of the righteous men and all the characters that go on this journey in this film, they all have trials and tribulations as good characters do and layers to them. But it is also their own humanities and the things that they do, call it universal karma, whatever, you, however you want to call it, um, that they end up coming to a crossroads uh, in their life possibly or in the scenarios where they choose different pathways in which they want to take their life um, that can also coincide with this passage and their journey in the film of, you know, survival or death. And it's fascinating when that penny dropped of the whole thing. And, and uh, it, look, this is the thing about art. It's very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's different from me. It's different from you. It's different from everybody that watches it. So, and it's your own in, interpretation. It's very subtextual and um, subjective very subjective really because I could be wrong this is just the way that I've taken what I have watched and processed in my mind and in my being and this is just where I've come to with it um and and it was fascinating when that dropped because it's just such a perfectly way that just the whole thing works and and comes together and in that end scene um it, it's it's pretty cool what 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 goes down. And I want to read the passage to you just so it paints the picture of what happens. And this is in basically in the last, you know, uh, act of the film of when it all comes to, comes to, a uh, could say climatic end, but, uh, it comes to a point of, um, where this is all hitting Samuel Jackson's character and he wants to get out of the game basically. Um, after being a hitman, and then he never thought of doing anything else up until everything that happened to them in that in that day, which was it was a crazy and wild ride of uh, all those characters intertwining into the main uh, portion of the film. And I'll just read it to you now: Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of the darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. I've been saying that shit for years. And if you've ever heard it, it meant your ass. I never really questioned what it meant. I thought it was just a cold-blooded thing to say to a motherfucker before you popped a cap in his ass. But I saw some shit this morning. Made me think twice. Now I'm thinking it could mean you're the evil man and I'm the righteous man. And Mr. 45 here, he's the shepherd protecting my righteous ass in the valley of darkness. Or it could be that you're the righteous man and I'm the shepherd and it's the world that's evil and selfish. I'd like that. But that shit ain't the truth. The truth is, you're the weak, and I'm the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. So he became the shepherd instead of the vengeance. But there's a lot to unpack within all that. And... That's, you know, obviously the the uh, expert from the Bible in there and then the bit of the dialogue that runs of his, uh, of, of his thoughts at the time and how he's changing his mind with everything. But I really feel that whole thing encapsulates uh, the film and it's fantastic because all of those characters um, from Butch, Bruce Willis's character and 
the the mob boss himself, and everybody, and Uma Thurman's character even as well, as well as John Travolta's character. I think it's Vince. Um, they all make decisions throughout the film that really take on that universal karmic flow and what they choose to do has consequences like in life. And it's kind of like in there in everything, the juice is just in there totally with, with it all. And that's why it's sort of all intertwines into one big story and their paths cross and, you know, Butch is trying to do over him and take a, he's supposed to take a dive in the foot in the boxing fight and then Marcellus, Marcellus Wallace is go, the, you know, the, the mob boss basically is going to, well, is he a mob boss? He's, he's the, he's the leader that has, um, Samuel Jackson's character is the hitman for, um, and they do jobs for him, obviously with Travolta's character, Vince. And he, yeah. And Bush tries to run off with the money and then he ends up getting hit by the car with Marcellus Wallace and they get into this big street fight and they get taken down by the gimp mask and that whole crazy scene. And, you know, so everything that they're doing is kind of having, uh, an effect on the overall outcome of what they're doing and, and where their characters end up in the actual story of the film. Uh, so it's just beautiful the way he ties all that in. And I don't know if you guys got similar things from all this and whether I'm even reading the science right with all this as well. So, but that was just a beautiful thing about what he does and what I really love about that film is just those intertwining stories and the way this played out and the realization of the, the importance of this uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen throughout for Samuel Jackson's character and possibly the the whole film in one as well. And there's probably a lot of people that will debate different things to me. Look, I, I'm not saying I'm exactly right. That's just my interpretation of the whole thing. And, and it's a beautiful way to make the film. And um, it's really why I went on the deep dive of Tarantino and then started, you know, just for an education of how he puts together a film and things that I can use or that sparks creativity for me, for them, me, sparking and then going off and um, doing more writing and things like that because that's what I do and that's what I love about the the cinema experience as well and what it provokes for me creatively and uh, spiritually and everything uh, in my being basically so that that was a that was a penny drop moment that really meant a lot to me um, and in the understanding of Tarantino and his film style and that film itself Pulp Fiction and cinema really and one of one of another uh, unique qualities that I find with uh, Tarantino as well, and you'll see it in a lot of films, I think too. But one thing that he does particular well, and I'll pick certain examples of it in his films that I've noticed, uh, and also obviously in Pulp Fiction, you have the Royale with Cheese scene, which is the long-running car scene and long-running dialogue. And it's something that is very, very hard to do in film and to create that kind of a scene and a feeling and the emotion and what the viewer gets from it, but to hold your attention for the whole time of a long-running dialogue scene because it's not something you always see. Now, you saw it a lot in older films and in older films, they didn't have a lot of like the advanced technology that we have today in the CGI and all these things that make films fantastic cinema going experience. But something that they do hold on to is the acting. The acting is so good in those older films. And that's what gets it through. And, and, and even if you watch it now, that's what, you know, stand the test of time for the majority of these older films that you can watch. And obviously there's way older films than these ones that I'm picking out. I think Pulp Fiction was 97. And some of you may think that's not old, you know, but hey. This is what I, the examples that I'm using today. And what he does with that is just such a long-running dialogue scene with not a lot happening. It's just uh, Samuel Jackson's character and um, and Vince, John Travolta's character. Ringo, no, it's Ringo and Vince, I believe. Uh, yeah, and to a... Fr- no, Ringo's the guy in the cafe. Jeez, I'm getting mixed up here. Um, yeah, and they're, they're talking in the car. And really, that's just, I believe they're in Hollywood. I'm not sure if they're downtown Hollywood or something when they're driving in this car. I believe that's where it is, but I could be wrong. And obviously, you're seeing everything pass by in the windows and they're having this funny, long-running dialogue about um, a Royale with cheese and what it's called. And uh, I think it's the Big Mac and the Royale with cheese or whatever that they call in France. And it's just a fascinating conversation. And that's what makes, obviously, it's so well acted and 
great dialogue and you're thinking, what are they going on about talking about this McDonald's hamburger as, as to, that I'm so intrigued in. Um, and it's just, it's a fascinating thing that he uses there, but I believe that one is just really is the acting that carries that scene through, um, to make it very fascinating in the overall scope of the film as well. Um, but it's something that he does a lot in his film is just epic monologues and long running dialogue between characters. I mean, if you look at the hateful eight, once again, Samuel Jackson, uh, Kurt Russell's in that, which he's in Tarantino's death proof. Um, and he's, he, they're in the, you know, they're kind of bounty hunters or collecting rewards or whatever to take them to the, uh, the rewards to get, uh, their, their bounties back for the people that they have, uh, hostage arrested or the people that they've killed. And it's just an epic ride, horse carriage ride, obviously in the snow. And it's just talking for so long in the film. Really the whole film is just running dialogue. There's some epic pieces in it and shootouts and everything that a Tarantino film will have and deceit and, you know, and blood and guts and, yeah, just craziness. But for the most part of that film, it's just epic dialogue. And epic dialogue then once they get to the cabin in the house and and them trying to figure out who everyone is and who's trying to stitch up who and and what's going to happen next, really. And that whole film is, is done that way, um, which is truly fascinating. But once again, amazing acting through the whole film and, and shot selection to keep you intrigued to what, what's happening in the characters and just brilliant writing from Tarantino himself, obviously, that uh, carries that one through. But what I what I want to get at too is, is the shot selections. And there's prime examples of that in some of his other films. And one that is probably one of the more famous scenes, I would say probably in his first film that got him, obviously no one is Quentin Tarantino, a Tarantino film, is Reservoir Dogs. And I'm not 100% sure if it's the opening scene. I think it might be. I believe it is the opening scene, or it's early on, where the mob guys are basically talking around the table. I think they're talking about Madonna, I believe. Um, and Jesus, people are probably yelling at me going, how do you not know this? Um, it's been a while since I've seen that. Uh, and and really, I, I think I've only seen that a couple of times, Reservoir Dogs, but... It's just such a beautiful scene for something that could be so very boring, once again, with long-running dialogue about would seem an almost meaningless conversation. And, and the thing I want to highlight, and I should have, I wanted to find out, actually, I should have checked what the shot's actually called. But what he does so strategically well, and if you guys have seen the film, you probably know this and obviously know more than me if you're a filmmaker um, on the, on the cin uh, cinematography side of things or director of photography, uh, is what he does with so many guys around the table talking and and the camera slowly pans or moves on a dolly. I'm not sure how they actually do it or it could be Steadicammed, uh, which for those of you who don't know, Steadicam is the camera operator actually holding it and he has this big harness suit on with sometimes weight counterbalances and it's dropped on the camera and he's handheld, handheld doing it. It's Makes you feel like you're more in the scene. Uh, some running and walking scenes have a lot of that. Not so much running, probably more so walking. Um, and he's got a grip generally holding onto the back of him to balance him and know where he's going through the scene as they walk around. Anyway, what he does is there's a different character all the time, obviously talking as a to and fro conversation goes. And the way he shots this as it's moving, shoots it as the way he's moving it around the table is that in between the characters he shoots through them to the guy who's talking and as he's maneuvering very beautifully just goes through the shot and gets every character talking like this as the conversation bounces back and forth between the characters and it's just it's so amazing how how it's shot and it's it's probably not it may seem a little simplistic but it really probably wasn't to shoot i'm sure it was a nightmare to get everybody to the timing of everybody saying what they needed to say as the camera hit those pockets of empty space to shoot the camera of the people and as they're moving around the table probably would have been a nightmare i'm, I'm guessing um but it's just fantastic and it adds to the intrigue of the scene it's just a beautiful way to introduce the characters and what they're saying and, and what what you're trying to make up from of, of what the hell they're talking about in that, in that certain scene of the film. Um, and it's beautiful. It's, it's just such a fantastic way of shooting it and something that I'd like to take, um, 
to the film that I'm doing if it adds to the film and if if you can make it happen and if it's necessary to be in there, you want to just throw it in there for doing it. Although I'm sure some people do just because they want to pull it off, you know. And um, another, he uses that same, very, very similar style of shooting in Death Proof where once again, I'm not even sure if I had actually seen that film before. That's what intrigued me to go and watch it because I wasn't sure. And I think maybe I did, but it was so long ago that I barely remembered it. So it was fun to watch it again. Um, and the way he used it, because uh, Tarantino pays homage to a lot of, like he's an old school um, you know, cinephile or, or, you know, just loves film. Uh, I'm not quite sure if you've been using cinephile lately. I don't even know if that's right. But um he pays homage to old school filmmaking. I think I believe it was Hateful Eight. He actually expensively so probably shot that, I think on 38 millimeter, um, like actual film film. Um, and he maybe he does that with a lot of his films, I think. I, you know, like I'm I'm a big Tarantino fan, but there's bigger fans out there that would tell they're screaming at me probably right now, and they know. Um, I think it's 38 millimeter, but it could be wrong. But um, in Death Proof, they use that old school effect throughout the majority of the film for the feeling of it, um, which is quite wild, you know, and then it cuts to like color later on when it gets into, I believe probably the second or third act um, where Rosanna Dawson's character and the other ones, are one of the stunt ladies in New Zealander, which I love that he's used her in a few films now. Um, and that's why I clicked when she came in on a hateful hate. I was like, oh, that's right. And he has, seems to have a fascination about New Zealand and Australia and he loves to put it in his films because uh, it's in Django as well. He has uh, John Jarrett and a few other uh of the Australian actors where he acts in the last scene um, and gets killed. It's pretty, pretty awesome scene. Um, and, and it's funny as well. Um, but yeah, he, he uses it in death proof as well. When the ladies are talking at the table in the diner. And once again, it could be a very boring scene. Uh, the, what they're just like talking and catching up and, and uh, the Kiwi chick, like, I believe she's a stunt woman because she does some crazy stunts in this. And I think that's why he just probably loved her enthusiasm for it and a good actress and stuff like that. And he put her in, her, in other films. Um, but she does some wild stunts in this uh, film hanging off the front by a belt or by nothing at all of a car and massive speed chase scenes with Kurt Russell bashing, trying to run these girls off the road. And she's hanging onto the bonnet while they're going flat out. Um, it's crazy. And I think that's probably, she probably, probably did those stunts for real and probably didn't have a lot of safety stuff. Well, maybe there was quite a bit. I don't know how they shot it, but, um, it's pretty awesome and pretty epic time that she stays on the front of this bonnet throughout that scene, uh, those scenes. But yeah, once again, he uses that same, the very similar technique or the same technique to make that diner scene or cafe scene so intriguing out of what would seem almost meaningless dialogue running for quite a substantial amount of time, but it gives you background on the characters once again and makes it fun and, and interesting. And you're like, oh, I feel like I'm in this conversation and now I'm trying to work out where this lady ties into the rest of the film and or with these characters and, and what's happening. And it's a beautiful, beautiful use of it um, that, that, he, that he has there in Death Proof. So there are a couple of... Um, shots and things that are very intriguing to me. And, and also it's such a hard thing to do. The long running dialogue and scenes is probably less and less of a thing now in, in cinema um, because of possibly people's attention spans, the CGI effect that has had on films where they want to be more action packed and, you know, your big budget of movies, which are action, action and shooting and everything all, all at once, all the time, not really giving you any space to breathe, to take in and, 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 think about what's going on in the film because there's just so much almost at nauseam of action, which is cool too. Don't get me wrong because I love it and I still think there's a place for that, but I also love the real cinematic films, you know, and, and film films, not just movies and blockbuster movies. Um, but the long running dialogue, as I said before, the thing that holds up in those, you'll, you'll find it in a lot of the older films and still in the Tarantino films, clearly, um, because he's so good at doing it, is to try and to keep us as viewers at the attention span on the film. And these are just little tricks that he's obviously done um, and people have probably done in the past to get, gather our attention to the scene and highlight certain things and take from it what we will. Um, so I think that's, that's something that's uh, clearly lost a little bit in today's cinema. 
um, and that I hope comes back. But also, it's just got to be great acting that holds it through um, in films and, and makes it intriguing. And yeah, it's something that certain filmmakers are still doing, but not a lot of them because I don't know if that's, you know, it's the age old thing. Oh, I don't know if social media and, you know, TikTok these days and all that, which I've never been on guys, I've got to admit. So I'm totally amateur on that and beyond amateur, actually. I don't know what goes on with all that, but you know, the shorter, the shorter videos now and what Instagram pushes of reels and even YouTube's doing shorts now and you know, everything's trying to take to that, uh, just that quick fix of endorphins or whatever it is you get from watching these quick videos. I don't know. I mean, everybody likes different things. So, I mean, I'll, I'll probably reserve my comments on all that, uh, probably for another chat at another time. Um, but yeah, it's just something that I love with that. And, and it really touches on like the old school and the new school style of filmmaking is that. And it's like old school versus new school kind of, we're just action packed all the time. Don't get you a chance to um, breathe. You're overstimulated constantly by what's going on that you're just like, well, that was a ride, but I don't even, you know, I'm not sure what I got from that. Um, I guess two hours are gone and passed. Uh, yeah, cool. We took that box. Um, but I think it's a special thing when you get something more from the film, like I did watching this Pulp Fiction the next this last time round, and um, the Tarantino rabbit hole that I went down of his cinematic universe, um, and and it was a it was a fascinating thing, and and you'll see it in a lot of um, older films as well versus the new school stuff. Or if you haven't, watch out for it in the next time you're watching films. And but also, obviously, you want to turn that off because you want to just experience it and and love the thing that you're watching at the time. And you don't, you know, you probably don't want to be overthinking the thing. But um, I don't know. If you're like me, I'm figuring out the film. I like the films that make me think. The, um, the thrillers and the mysteries or just the way the writer has put this down. The director's chose, you know, with the cinematographer how to do the shots and why they've used that. And like, oh, I see what they're doing there. And that's intertwining with that. And that's uh, now I think I know who the bad guy is. You know, all those things. I love to think about it. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a contrast of the old school versus the new school style of filmmaking um, that I'm noticing with going back down that rabbit hole and all the things that I do watch these days. Um also, what do we got? We got also, yeah, the 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 stakes of the long of the long dialogue scenes um, and how they're shot, and I think that's what raises the stakes up. The way you choose to shoot these things, because um, you could just obviously cut between characters as you would in close up or medium close up shots. Boom, boom, boom! Have it punchy. It really as filmmakers would know that changes the whole scope of the scene and the feeling and the emotions that you're getting from it. And so that's, it's part of like story building, story building, uh, boarding the film, sorry. And talking over the cinematographer and your director of photography and director that how you want the film to feel, you know, and, um, and therefore using the edit and then make it punchier and different in so many other ways. So, so many times that the, the film can actually change from something that is to something new and you're, fascinated and dumbfounded of how you got to that but it, it looks beautiful and um yeah it's like it, it can seem with the the dialogue can seem so random but there's always hidden meaning meanings to the larger story too and the random dialogue and whether you pick up on that or not is i think it's kind of the fun of maybe what tarantino gets out of doing that sort of thing in film is it's fun for him to layer all those things and see if you pick up on those Easter eggs and those little um, breadcrumbs that he's putting there for you to put the the overall story together of the film and and what you make of it. And it's got to be a he's probably chuckles at the way um, people take, you know, what what they're watching and what they mean from it. And I'm sure he's he's really funny like that. When uh, like I've seen interviews and podcasts that he's done, and like he'll give he'll tell you some stuff and be so straight up about it, but he also leave little things open there for you know i think it's just that he's just like yep i want to leave that up to you you to think that over because that is my job as a filmmaker um and and that's so, such a fun thing but uh yeah so that that was really fun going down those rabbit holes of the tarantino style filmmaking um and i got a lot from going back into those universes for me to be very enthusiastic and excited about creating my own 
cinematic universe. And that's really the purpose of me getting back into, you know, sitting my ass down on the chair and getting back into writing. Um, and therefore I'll be producing the film as well, obviously, hopefully get some good people on board to put that together and uh, get the film done, you know, and that's one of my really, my main goals uh, this year to do that because it's it's a short film, but it's basically kind of a proof of concept of the feature that I want to do with a lot of these characters that are in this short. Um, but it's kind of starting off and creating that cinematic universe for me for the films to come and and to start and to go into that my first feature and things like that um, as a writer and 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 create that world and and let the characters thrive and build from in there. So that's what I'm really excited about, and that's. You know, that's, I mean, that's why I go back and watch these films. It's an education, you know, it's an education as an actor as well. It's an education as a writer, as a producer, as a human being. Um, what you get from these and the humanity uh, of the characters and, and the world we live in, and that you can always relate it to your own life or the life happening around you. And that's the beautiful thing about art, I think, um, and what what I get from it. Um but yeah, and also, uh, so what else have we got? Yeah, so basically, uh, I have a couple of guests locked in, ready to go for the next uh, episodes. Um, as things are just, people are really busy and it's just changing a lot. Um, so bear with me, guys. I'm, I'm doing the best I can with it to get these out for you. Um, I'm excited because I am going to New Zealand to see my family in March. So I'm stoked about that for a couple of weeks. So we're trying to bank the episodes to get them out for you guys so there'll be no like room in between um and yeah yeah we'll go from there some exciting stuff uh coming up there's some great actresses uh that i've got coming on because i, I try to balance it out with females and males guys it's not just you know like i'm trying to do my best with that um there's been a few uh female actresses and filmmakers uh documentary filmmakers and stuff like that that i've been talking to uh to get them on uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, it's just sometimes the guys are more more keen to come on. I don't know. Um, but also, obviously, we've had some awesome female guests. I mean, the most viewed and downloaded uh, episode of all time of the, the podcast is uh, Natalie Gonzalez-Hills, uh, the former one championship fighter and champion, Australian champion of uh, with the boxing and everything. Um, so she, you know, she was fantastic and um you know, and then, and we've got we've had some great ones on there like that. So yeah, I hope to get them on. Um, like I say, if you have any suggestions of people, just hit me up. Or or go, if you listen, anyone that listens to the podcast and you want to come on, hit me up. I'm, I'm all ears, eh? Uh, we also I have an MMA fighter, uh, former XFC champion, or maybe he's still current. I need to double check on that. Um, and yeah, some fantastic yeah fighters that I've been talking to. Um, other people in different spaces, uh, like mental health advocates and that been going through real struggles in life and done some amazing things with what has been dealt their way um, that I'm talking to to come on that I think you guys will really love and get a lot from. Uh, so there's some cool things happening with this and uh, we're going to keep going, you know, like I'll, I'll do more if I can. Um, I may throw the odd solo one in there just as extra content, you know, or if a guest pulls out last minute, that's just what I have to do, guys. So I, I really am doing my best to get you guys out 100%, at least one episode a month um, with some more clips chopped up and get in there because, I mean, the aim is, you know, obviously keep doing the podcast, stay consistent and grow the podcast. And I know for that I need small clips and shareable clips and that's what they say with the YouTubes and I don't know, you know, clickbait, title, and thumbnails seems to be the thing. That's what people keep telling me. So I may have to adjust a couple of things in a few different areas, but that's just, yeah, you just have to roll with it and you just have to adapt. I mean, the algorithms are such a big thing on social media and YouTube and all that, that I just have to, I just have to do what we have to do to, you know, just to obviously get um, more people listening and more people watching. And that that's, so tell your friends, hey, if you, if you think the episode's great and there's some quality in the content, share it away, guys. Like I, I really appreciate it because last year had huge growth uh, for the podcast and I will say that and that's down to you guys and I honestly, I love you guys for it and I really appreciate it. Um, you know, like you get the, you get the algorithms back for, uh, sorry, the statistics back uh, like at the end of the year, Spotify does their review thing and it was awesome to see that I'm like in certain people that, 
listen to the podcast religiously. Uh, that seems to like with the dedicated listeners is what seems to be for the show. So thank you guys for sticking with me and everything. And for the new people that are checking this out, you know, thanks. Come along, check it out. We've got some great episode catalog in there or just whatever comes next, you know, is, is going to be up there. But yeah, the, for the people that sort of listen that they have Spotify or what have you, um, like mine was like one of their number one podcasts for the ones that actually have Spotify and maybe they joined it just to listen to the podcast. I don't know. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see some of the statistics come back and and the growth that had been last year with the podcast. And um, I'll say special thanks to uh, Jacob uh, Turner because he had the most uh, viewed and most downloaded podcast for last year, which was an awesome podcast. And it's sitting up there at maybe three number three or four of all time with the podcast so congrats to him and uh we'll look at getting him back on because i know there's been a bit happening in his space um he has his travel show on channel 10 i believe it is so that's still going at the moment i believe that next season of it that he spoke about so that's really cool um yeah and i guess what's next yeah i said i'm going to new zealand um i'm gonna be i'm hitting trying to hit the keyboard hard with the with the writing and getting that going I, I hope to have that short film written in the next couple of months um you know we'll see how that goes with things come up and chucking out switching up the priorities but that's the aim and uh i'll do my best to get that done and, uh, and i'll update you guys on the process and what we're doing with things when see fit to but um yeah, I love checking in with you guys and holding myself accountable for these things that I'm saying to you because then it pushes me to do it when if I'm feeling a little lazy at times because let's face it, we all do. Um, and if I'm speaking this out loud and I'm telling you guys about it, it holds me accountable just like it was for creating the label and the shirts. And that's once again another avenue this year that I'm uh, looking to expand on. Um, hit me up, you guys, if you if you want some of the merch. Uh, the oddball of brand there. So... We're doing that, uh, and yeah, we've got we've got some other things coming up. Some other things I'm working on that will take more of a higher priority, um, shifting out and like like I, when I bring it back full circle to finding the love in what you do and what you're trying to achieve and why you're doing it is so important. And why I said it was stuck on my mind through a long period of time there is because. Uh, you know, as you do, you find spaces that you get a little complacent or like, what, are, what am I doing this for? Why am I putting so much time and effort into this? What am I missing out on? Uh, what does this mean to me? And why am I doing it is, is a very important question to probably constantly ask yourself, I guess, you know, I can overanalyze it and overthink it so many different times. But I think it's important to give yourself a reality check with that. And I certainly have for the work environment in which I'm uh, in and how to get out of that, which I've spoken about before to give myself more time to create and to go down the path that I do, the love of what I do and what I want to do more of. And I'm um, just really making that more accessible to myself. So I'm working on a few things in that avenue and um, that will create me more time to do more of these and do more of what I love to do in the creative space. And, and I encourage you to maybe you know, take some time to think about that for yourself and what you're doing this year and, and what you're trying to achieve and why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? What is it that you love about what you do and how can you do more of it and how can you flourish in that environment and create more of those opportunities for yourself to, you know, live your your best life and, and what, you're, what you're doing because at the end of the day, life is short and we keep aging, you know, minute by minute, day by day, year by year. So yeah, it really, I guess that you get a little, um, not nostalgic, but you get a little, you think of your own self in this way um, as you get a little bit older, you know, um, you run at it like a, like a bull in a china shop and just, just having fun and having a great time, you know, when you're younger and then it dawns on you later, like, what, what am I doing? What's my legacy? What's my purpose what's my what's my drive what's what am i doing this all for and um how i want to go about life and be interacted and it's it's a funny thing that i watched a comedy special andrew santino cheeseburger on netflix check it out he's a fantastic uh, la comedian and I, I actually was lucky enough to see him um live as one of the openers for uh, joe rogan 
when I was there in 2019. Um, and he's fantastic live, but that that special is pretty awesome. But he was he he goes on a bit of a riff about that and like like he's like, oh, I'm not really worried about my legacy, but what I am worried about is enjoying me while I'm here now, in the moment, while I'm here with you, enjoy me now for this. I would just want to have fun with all the interactions and everything that I'm doing right now because, you know, in a fleeting moment, it can be gone. And it's special to live in the moment and create the best environment for yourself and the friends and the people around you to enjoy you and you enjoy their company and all the great things about it. So I guess it's like, it can put things in perspective and um, of what you actually want to achieve and what you want to do and how you want to live your life. Have fun, I guess, be loved, love people, love things, love animals, love everything, you know, and, and just that universal flow and karmic flow of everything. Um, which I truly believe is a thing uh, and that really governs how the interactions that you have with the world and the people around you uh, really flourish for you and and can embody you and your purpose and what, what you're trying to achieve and what you're going for. So, hey, look, that's me for today, guys. I just wanted to check in with you. I just wanted to share some of that Quentin Tarantino universe that I went down, the cinematic universe that is, what I learned from it, what I've got from it, what I'm putting towards in my career and my adventures and my avenues of which I choose to put my time in life. And uh, love me while I'm here now. <laughs> it's fun, guys. And it's, it's, it's a great ride. It's great to have you guys to be interacting with you. Obviously, it's awesome when I'm interacting with someone one-on-one -on -one and you guys get to get to be in that conversation and, and sit down with us and, and listen and, and, and watch and be a part of it. Um, but yeah, it's great to check in from time to time with you guys solo and hold myself accountable. And until next time, guys, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be getting after it and I'm going to be having fun and I'm going to love what I do. And I do love what I do, but I want more of it. And I want more of that for you guys too. So I encourage you to just think about it, you know, think about what you're doing and, and what you love to do and how you can do more of it. And that's all for me today, guys. Have an awesome time and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoy all the ones we've done before and the ones coming for the future. Righto, that's me out.